everyone wants to get more sleep, and there are a ton of different sleep hacks out there, noise machines, meditation, earplugs, which I do, but you can immediately transform your sleep with Bowl & Branch. We have Bowl & Branch sheets in our house. They're in white. They are so soft. In fact, we say all the time, but they really do get softer with every wash. And the sheets also come in a really pretty box, kind of wrapped up like a present just for you. They feel buttery and breathable to start. And again, as Motion and I always say, they get softer with every wash. Best of all, it feels a little bit luxurious every time you slip into bed. These best-selling sheets are also made with the finest 100% organic cotton. They are completely free from toxins, soft yet super breathable. There's a 30-night worry-free guarantee so you can wash them, style them, and sleep in them for an entire month. And if you don't really love them, you could send them back right away. And again, they're made without toxins. There's no synthetic pesticides, formaldehyde, and other harsh chemicals. So sleep better with the softest, most breathable bedding from Bowl & Branch. Get 15% off your order when you use the promo code MONEWS at bowlandbranch.com. That is Bowl & Branch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com. That promo code MONEWS, M-O-N-E-W-S, for 15%, off your order. Hey, everybody. It is Thursday, September 1st. Yes, you've heard that right. September is here. I'm Moshe Wanunu, and you're listening to the Mo News Podcast. This is the place where we bring you just the facts from verified sources and a breakdown of what matters in the news. I try to read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. As we begin a new month, we are watching a lot of headlines today. That includes a hearing today in Florida. This will have to do with the search over Mar-a-Lago and the latest Justice Department filing that accuses Trump and his team of purposely withholding documents. I'll have more on what each side is saying ahead of this hearing. The FDA has given approval to a new round of COVID boosters related to Omicron. They could be available as soon as this weekend. We'll also have the latest word out of Jackson, Mississippi, the city of nearly 200,000 that still does not have running water. New poll numbers show that more Americans are now smoking marijuana than cigarettes for the first time in history. And we'll have a look at how Starbucks is reimagining their stores, the layouts, the equipment, given record sales these past couple years. But let's start in Florida, where there's a major hearing today related to the Mar-a-Lago search warrant. A judge will potentially rule today on whether to assign a special master or independent observer, uh, this is a Trump request, uh, to be part of the DOJ search process in going through all of the uh, documents they recovered from Mar-a-Lago. This all comes as the FBI investigation into the top secret government info discovered at the former president's home is now focused on the question of whether Trump's team criminally obstructed the probe. We learned a lot from the Justice Department filing late Tuesday. This is in relation to this hearing today. It alleges that government records had been concealed or removed and that law enforcement officials were misled by Trump and his legal team about what was still at Mar-a-Lago. So the allegation here is obstruction of justice. It does not necessarily mean at this point that Trump or anyone else will ultimately face charges, but it could pose the most direct legal threat to Trump and those in his orbit. Historically speaking, the Justice Department has regarded obstruction as a major aggravating factor that tilts in favor of bringing criminal charges, especially when it comes to mishandling of classified information. 
So the focus here is less on what Trump took in back in 2021 and much more on the obstruction of justice charges. That's what we got a lot of details about in the filing Tuesday night. We all know the old adage, it's never about the crime, it's about the cover-up, especially when it comes to things in Washington. And that's what it appears the Justice Department is talking about here. It's the Trump team's refusal to help them, the refusal to return all the documents and what appears to be obstruction in getting them back. If we rewind a little bit here, the Justice Department issued a subpoena back in May for the records. This is the remaining classified records. Trump had returned some after some back and forth in January, had not returned all. The Justice Department issues a subpoena in May, and then officials visit Mar-a-Lago on June 3rd to collect the rest of these documents. What we now know is that when those FBI agents first traveled down there to retrieve the records, that Trump lawyers explicitly prohibited government personnel from opening or looking inside any of the boxes inside a storage room. Until now, the take we've gotten from the Trump team is that they were totally cooperating here, but it appears this filing shows otherwise. The Justice Department filing also shows a sworn legal statement signed by Trump's attorneys that they had conducted their own diligent search of the property and found no additional classified or secret documents. The FBI then came to doubt the truth of those statements and obtained the search warrant, which is then what led to the August 8th search. By the way, in that search, they found more than 100 secret or classified documents. So the DOJ is calling out the fact that the uh, Trump legal team to say that they conducted a diligent search and said there were no documents here, only for the DOJ to find 100 plus documents just uh, several weeks later is pretty significant. We're learning all this because the DOJ had to file a response to Trump's push for a special master, an independent observer, to look through all the documents obtained by the search warrant. And so uh, the judge asked for briefings and filings in advance of this hearing today. DOJ filed by going through this whole litany of obstruction of justice uh, potential issues they face. Trump's team responded late last night saying uh, they are being mischaracterized and that ultimately uh, they still think there needs to be an independent observer to go through these documents. They feel that they have a right to executive privilege, even though the Supreme Court has said former presidents don't have that right. Either way, a judge will hold a hearing on the motion today. The Justice Department has also said, by the way, that because the Trump team took more than two and a half weeks before asking for this independent observer, that they'd already gone through these documents, they have their own filter teams, they went through everything. And so they're basically in their filing, in addition to all the obstruction stuff, basically said, we're, we're good here. We've gone through everything. We, we don't see the point of a uh, special independent observer or special master, as they're calling it. So what does this all mean? Well, there's a Bloomberg report out on Wednesday that says that federal prosecutors are likely to wait until after the November election to announce any charges against Trump if they determine he broke laws. So this investigation continues, and effectively, the DOJ has a policy that uh, traditionally 60 days before an election, since we have midterms in November, that means September 10th of this year, that they typically don't announce any major charges that could help uh, one side or another when it comes to an election. And remember, this is just one of the federal investigations into Trump. The other one is the federal investigation into his effort to overturn the 2020 election. That's a separate one. Either way, traditionally, again, you have this Justice Department policy that they're gonna basically pause things until November, and then they would make a call after November as to whether to announce charges against him. Obviously, another factor there is whether he decides to announce a run for president for 2024. He announces that early this fall, how that would impact a decision. Though critics here say that while the Justice Department has had this policy for years, they haven't always followed it. Keep in mind that there are a bunch of critics on the Democratic side who say, where was this policy during the 2016 campaign when the FBI announced a criminal investigation into Hillary Clinton for her classified documents issue? 
during the primary election. It continued through the general election. And if you recall, two weeks before election day in 2016, they announced uh, a, a look, a renewed look at her uh, documents and then only announced a couple of days before election day in 2016, oh, they had gone through those documents and there was nothing bad here. The Hillary people blame the renewed FBI investigation with just weeks to go in 2016 uh, for one of the reasons that they lost. Needless to say, I'll keep everyone updated all day on what goes down in Florida uh, at that hearing today on my Instagram feed. If you don't follow me already, uh, follow me over at, at Moshe at M-O-S-H-E-H. One other politics story we're following is the historic win last night. A Democrat will represent Alaska in the U.S. House for the first time in 50 years. This is the result of the special election that was held earlier this month. Mary Peltola, she's the Democrat in Alaska. She beat out a pretty big field, including a couple of Republicans, including former Governor Sarah Palin, who was seeking her own political comeback in the state. Peltola will become the first Alaska native to serve in the U.S. House and the first woman to hold that seat. She will serve out the remaining months of the late Republican that was Congressman Don Young, who actually held a seat for 49 years until he died earlier this year. So Peltola will take over here, but keep in mind, because this is just an election for the rest of his term, that uh, ultimately they're going to be doing this all over again later this fall uh, for the full two-year term that begins in January. So she will at least be able to serve for a few months here before there's another election. By the way, one of the unique reasons why a Democrat was able to win in a state that is as red as Alaska, they have a new system in Alaska called ranked choice voting. The way it works is that all voters get to pick their primary candidate and then a backup candidate. Once the top two uh, finishers are determined, in this case it was Peltola and Palin, they then go to the third and fourth place finishers and go to their backup candidates. It appears that Peltola, despite being a Democrat, was able to collect a whole bunch of second choices from the other Republican, apparently these were Republican voters, who voted for the Palin competitor uh, and decided their backup choice instead of Palin was going to be a Democrat. That is ultimately how it appears Peltola was able to pull this off. So this is a controversial system. The uh, people who implement this, it's available in several states, including Maine, uh, advocate that this gives voters more choice. But there are some Republicans who are looking at this saying, maybe this doesn't work for Alaska if this somehow got a Democrat into Congress. Okay, a bit of vaccine news for you on this Thursday. The FDA has authorized two new Omicron-specific coronavirus booster shots. They're actually poised for rollout as early as this weekend. They have been reformulated, the boosters have, to take into account BA4 and BA5 Omicron subvariants. Um, ultimately, most of the vaccines, if you got the vaccine until now or got the boosters, they were built around the OG uh, virus. We've obviously seen a number of variants. You might remember Alpha, Beta, Delta, Omicron. These uh, new boosters take into account Omicron and the uh, manufacturers, Pfizer and Moderna, there's two different booster shots, say that they will be more effective uh, in combating the Omicron subvariants. It's very likely the CDC approves it as soon as today. Again, it got FDA authorization yesterday. The CDC looks at it today. The Pfizer booster will be available if approved for all people 12 and older. Moderna will be available to people 18 and older. We will likely get guidance from the CDC on specifics. If there's certain groups, they recommend it over others. Right now, what I'm reading, and again, we'll continue to monitor this and see if there's any caveats put by the CDC, is that they'll recommend it for anyone if they're more than two months removed from a previous booster or from having coronavirus itself. We're still waiting on some more data on these boosters. They have very preliminary data. Studies show a modest increase in neutralizing antibodies that both Pfizer and Moderna found helped target Omicron. But how those antibody levels would translate to actual protection 
is unclear so far. Experts warn against trying to choose right now between Moderna or Pfizer or Pfizer or Moderna. Scientists are still months from knowing which brand offers better protection. Regardless, the CDC looks like they're going to go ahead with approval as soon as today. It might be available as soon as this weekend and then will likely roll out through the rest of the month. Many Americans have recently been affected by variants in the Omicron family. So it'll be interesting on how the CDC takes that into account when they make their recommendations later today. One of the stories we're continuing to cover this week is the situation in Jackson, Mississippi, a city of 180,000 that does not currently have running water. Mississippi's capital is going into a fourth day today with no water pressure to bathe, drink, brush your teeth, cook, or flush the toilet. Some residents have been standing in long lines for bottled water. Schools and businesses are closed, but the mayor says he hopes water service can be restored as soon as this week. Mayor Chakwa Lamamba told CNN on Wednesday that there is, quote, a huge mountain to climb in order to achieve that goal, but crews are working persistently to restore the pressure to refill the tanks across the city. The governor of Mississippi, that's Tate Reeves, tweeted on Wednesday that an emergency rental pump that'll pump an additional 4 million gallons of water is being stalled at Jackson's water facility. They are taking notice of this in Washington. President Biden spoke with the mayor of Jackson this week. He also signed a major disaster declaration that triggers assistance from FEMA and emergency efforts coming out of Washington for the people of Jackson. The National Guard is deployed in Mississippi right now to distribute bottled water. The state is working on urgent repairs and maintenance of the water treatment plant that has been shut down. But as we've been telling you, there's been a lack of maintenance, attention, and investment going back several years. But the most acute problem started in late July. That's when the state imposed a boil water notice for Jackson after high levels of cloudiness in the water were noticed. Cloudiness carries a higher chance of disease-causing organisms. Around the same time, the main pumps going into the city's main treatment plant were severely damaged. That forced the facility to operate smaller backup pumps. Those pumps went offline earlier this month, and then flooding over the weekend took it offline completely. One family that spoke to the publication Business Insider say they have already spent $100 to $200 on bottled water for their family to use to just drink and brush their teeth. That since the boil water notice took effect last month. By the way, median family income in Mississippi is about $800 a week. So this is a significant issue for a very impoverished area of the country. And uh, we'll see what comes of the uh, mayor's goal of getting water back online as early this week. I've seen other estimates that that is very optimistic, super optimistic, and it might take several weeks to get it back online. Okay, one major international headline that caught my attention yesterday. This is has to do with a report of the UN. We've been waiting for this to be released for more than a year. And finally on Wednesday, the UN Human Rights Office released a report accusing China of actions that may, quote, constitute international crimes, crimes against humanity in its mass detention of the Uyghur Muslims and other predominantly Muslim groups. You may have been hearing about this situation out in Xinjiang, uh, this is far western China, going back several years. The UN's been investigating this and has actually had a report ready to go for more than a year, but it has been delayed. Human rights groups have been complaining to the United Nations that they were caving to China. Interestingly, this assessment that international crimes and potentially crimes against humanity are happening inside China were released minutes before the current UN High Commissioner of Human Rights. That is Michelle Bachelet. She's the former leader of Chile. She then went on to the UN. She's set to leave office today. And so coincidentally, just hours before she left office, they released this report that is highly critical of China. The leaders in Beijing have been trying to block this report, it appears, and it is now out. It says that in the past five years, the Chinese government's mass detention campaign out in its western provinces have swept up an estimated million Uyghurs, uh, other ethnic groups, into a network of prisons and camps 
Beijing is calling these training centers, but effectively uh, former detainees have come out saying these are brutal, brutal detention centers. While the report does not use the word genocide, that is the designation that the U.S. as well as a tribunal in the United Kingdom have used in the past year. The report does treat as credible what rights groups and activists have been saying for years now, the claim that China has detained these Uyghur Muslims, Kazakhs, some other minority groups for expressing their religious faith. There have also been a number of credible media reports. There's been some great BBC investigations. They've obtained leaked files which reveal an organized system of some really horrendous things going on in these Western provinces, sexual abuse, torture, mass rape of the Uyghur Muslims, effectively what the Chinese are calling a re-education or retraining of this huge, huge minority group in the country. Uh, they're being held in detention. You have seen a number of companies play a role here who say they will no longer have products made in that part of China that include solar panels. In some cases, that might include clothing, etc. So really remarkable that this UN report finally got out after what appears to have been them sitting on it for more than a year now. It is finally out. The Chinese are protesting it. We'll see what sort of impact this has. As we start September, those of you on the Gulf Coast in Florida and the East Coast know that this typically starts the peak of hurricane season. But one good piece of news we can bring you so far, and you know this, it's been a freakishly quiet hurricane season so far. And that's despite a forecast we got from NOAA and other weather experts earlier this year forecasting an above average season for hurricanes. This August marks the first time in 25 years to not have a named storm. We actually haven't had a named storm going back to July 3rd. Since 1950, this goes back more than 70 years, there's only been two other Augusts that had no named Atlantic storms in 1961 and 1997. But weather experts warn that this trend may not continue. The National Hurricane Center is actively watching three areas of tropical cyclone formation over the next week. Two have a high chance of forming. One is off the west coast of Africa, and one off the west coast of Africa has a medium chance of developing. So what does this mean, this quiet August? Well, looking back historically at those other two years, uh, they both had two very different outcomes. 1961, after that quiet summer, ended up being a hyperactive hurricane season, a very busy September, October, and November. 1997, the other year without an August hurricane, was a below average season. So it will remain to be seen how 2022 ends up. One thing they're blaming for the lack of hurricanes is a lot of dry air and sand that is blowing off the Sahara Desert this year. Storms typically form off the west coast of Africa and then start to make their move towards the U.S. Uh, and North America. But this year, they haven't seen much in the way of uh, formation, but we will see what the next two months brings. Uh, and while that has been good news for the East Coast and the Gulf so far this year, Unfortunately, the rest of the country has seen some uh, record weather, whether that be the droughts in Texas and the Midwest, the heat waves out west, the southwest, the southeast, as well as some of the really record flooding we've seen this year. Meanwhile, down on the U.S.-Mexico border, federal authorities are celebrating a huge cocaine bust, actually the biggest one in 20 years this week. What was officially a shipment of baby wipes at the U.S.-Mexico border turned out to be something very different, $11.8 million worth of cocaine. U.S. Customs and Border Protection officially announced this this week. They say that officers down there seized the narcotics on Friday at the Columbia Solidarity Bridge that's just north of Laredo. So officers saw this trailer truck, which claimed to be carrying only baby wipes, for a second inspection. Then a canine team goes in and they conduct an inspection that resulted in nearly 2,000 packages with more than 1,500 pounds of alleged cocaine. It's a pretty remarkable discovery. There have been a number of big drug busts on the border just this summer. The agency said it recently seized a shipment of about $400,000 of fentanyl that crossed the border from Mexico 
Earlier this summer, they found a different shipment of cocaine worth $600,000. This was cocaine that was stored in tires of a trailer that said it was transporting juice. And then there was another big find, a million dollars worth of cocaine, heroin, and meth inside a shipment of statues that came across the border earlier this summer. Okay, let's stay with the drug theme for one more story. More Americans are officially smoking marijuana than cigarettes for the first time, according to a new Gallup poll. Now, cigarette use has been trending downward for the past few decades, with only about 11% now officially saying they smoke cigarettes. Meanwhile, 16% of Americans say they now smoke marijuana, and 48% of Americans say they've tried it at some point. Compare this for a second to what was going on 50 or 60 years ago. The same poll showed that 45% of Americans smoked cigarettes back then. Now it's down to 11 and at the time, 60 years ago, 4% of Americans said they were smoking marijuana, or at least would tell pollsters they were. While there's been a lot of focus on the marijuana or cigarette uh, smoking, ultimately what the poll also showed is that alcohol continues to be the most popular substance. 67% of Americans in the new poll said they are drinkers. That compares to 63% back in 1939. So that has remained pretty consistent for, what are we looking at, 80 years. And it appears that over the last 80 years, there's about a third of Americans that abstain from alcohol, or at least, again, tell pollsters that they don't drink. A couple of business headlines I'm watching as we close out the podcast today. Bed Bath & Beyond is closing approximately 150 what they call low-producing stores and laying off 20% of its staff. Bed Bath has about 900 stores total, so this is pretty significant. Nearly 15% of its stores will be eliminated. Uh, I guess it adds also to the retail glut around the country, a lot of empty stores, so we'll see uh, what potentially comes into them. The big issue for Bed Bath is that it's totally cash-strapped. And this might be their last chance to turn things around. Uh, they could also, if they don't, join the fate of their one-time rival. You might remember the store Linens and Things. Uh, Linens and Things had trouble in recent years and had to shut down. Bed Bath appears to be having some of the similar problems these days. Sales of the stores plummeted 25% in the first quarter this year. They had to replace the CEO. We've all known Bed Bath for their 20% off coupons. Bed Bath tried to revamp its merchandise in recent years. It tried to focus on private label products. It had an Our Table brand cookware. That strategy appears to not have worked. So they're now ditching that strategy. They're nixing three of their private label brands and recalibrating their strategy at this point. In June, the company reported a net loss of nearly $400 million. That's seven times worse than a year ago. They were also trying to sell their Bye Bye Baby stores. They own Bye Bye Baby. There were no takers. So they're now going to keep the Bye Bye Baby stores. So they have a lot of things to figure out. Before we move on to our final story, though, I don't think I can let any story about Bed Bath & Beyond go without playing my favorite, or one of my favorite movie clips from old school. Actually, pretty nice little Saturday. We're, uh, we're gonna go to Home Depot. Yeah, buy some wallpaper, maybe get some flooring, stuff like that. Maybe Bed Bath & Beyond, I don't know. I don't know if we'll have enough time. If you're not familiar, that was a Will Ferrell's character in old school with one of my favorite classic movie lines in the days we memorized movie lines. Are we still doing that, folks? And finally, to a story about Starbucks, this is a story in the Wall Street Journal that caught my eye today. The coffee giant is engaged in an effort to rethink how their stores are designed, even how to make a frappuccino. I did not realize this, but this comes as consumer demand for coffee on the go is at record levels. So Starbucks cafes that once averaged 1,200 orders a day are now trying to make 1,500 orders a day. Uh, the story notes that there's actually one shop they went to that used to do a million dollars a year in sales that's now doing $3 million a year in sales. And it turns out that the Starbucks spaces, the way that they're laid out, their equipment is just not capable of handling that level of demand. Now, while Starbucks was hard hit by the pandemic, by last year to-go orders had helped sales recover to pre-pandemic levels. 
But this year, rising costs for supplies, for ingredients, as well as increasing wages, you know, there's a union effort going on at Starbucks, uh, has really eaten into the company's profits. And so notably, while Starbucks reported that sales had risen nearly 10% from last year earlier this summer, net income dropped 21%. So the Wall Street Journal story, uh, I'll link to this in the show notes, takes us inside the Starbucks labs, uh, their laboratories, as they focus on new equipment, including a portable blender that they think might be able to help baristas make coffee quicker. The story says that actually 50 seconds, I didn't know this, 50 seconds is the magic number that uh, Starbucks baristas try to stay under to deliver your coffee. It's not a mandatory thing. It's not like the whole Domino's 30 minutes thing, but apparently that is their goal. Either way, even if you don't get your coffee in 50 seconds today at Starbucks, be nice to your barista. And a bit of TV news as I say goodbye to you today. I know many of you are watching that new Game of Thrones prequel on HBO Max. Some of you have said you're excited for the new Lord of the Rings show this Friday. That premieres on Amazon Prime. I also saw this week that Hulu popped a new trailer for season five of Handmaid's Tale. If any of you are still watching that series, that's going to premiere later this month on September 14th. Apparently, according to this trailer, I won't blow it for you guys, but we will find out the fate of June. I'll link to that trailer in the show notes as well. I want to thank everyone for listening to the Mo News Daily Podcast. I'd love your feedback on how I'm doing, what we're covering, uh, any suggestions, tips, etc. Email me, podcast at mo.news. A reminder to subscribe to the Mo News newsletter over at monews.bulletin.com. Follow me on Instagram at Moshe at M-O-S-H-E-H. And don't forget to follow or subscribe to the show and review us in the App Store. Every review makes a difference, so I appreciate all the support. I will see everyone back here tomorrow.